Amen. Why don't you guys have a seat? And if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. As we've been going through on Sundays, for those of you that come to mission, uh, we've been looking at Isaiah uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter as we go through. And what we've been looking at in chapter 9 is that the first half of chapter 9 was a very dark and gloomy situation. It was like the, good, uh, the start of a good Halloween story, not a Christmas story, on a dark and gloomy night. It was this bad situation where Israel was in the throes of darkness because Assyria, this giant kingdom from the east, was coming and breathing down their neck right at their northern border. And they were about to engage them in a way that uh, Israel knew that they couldn't fight back. And so Isaiah is trying to get the king of Judah, the southern kingdom, to respond to God by crying out to him and saying, God, you are our king. We know that we are okay in your hands. But instead of doing that, Ahaz decides, the king Ahaz, he decides to go and, and try and do his own thing. And so there's this small group of people in Judah that are crying out, wondering if there is any hope anymore. They're looking at the darkness that surrounds them and they think to themselves, where is our God? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever hit a time where you wonder, how are things going? Where is God at in the midst of my situation? We've been talking a lot about this in Isaiah, but in the midst of this, what God delivers to this remnant, this believing remnant of people, is he delivers to them a word of hope that would last not only for the people of Judah, but would last throughout the ages. And it's what we are here to celebrate tonight and what hopefully will be on our minds as we wake up tomorrow morning and open packages and celebrate with one another. It's the birth of a king, a king that would come and restore peace and justice and righteousness. Let's take a look there at Isaiah 9-6 and see what this promise is. It says this. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, the first section of this, it has a lot of prophetic meaning, but what I want to focus on today is the last section, what his name shall be called. In our culture, in our society, this is kind of a weird statement. His name shall be called. Now, I have a lot of nicknames. I grew up with them. You know, nicknames like Tree. I don't know how I got that one. Do you know, Ken? My name is Hans, and, and playing basketball, I got the nickname Hans, right? Okay? I'd drop the ball a lot. We all have nicknames, but the idea of our name being called something different is so foreign to our culture. It's a lot of work to change our name in this culture. We have one name, really. And so this idea of, of Isaiah saying his name shall be called all these things, it doesn't make sense to us. But if we put ourselves back in that culture, here's what they mean. A person's name was their character. When you said someone's name, you could be assured that they would act a certain way because of their name. Names meant something. My kids' names, uh, John Thomas, is God's gift of a twin, right? For those of you that know him, he's a twin, and he was a huge gift from God. Jaden Marcus, his name means uh, God has heard my cry. Kara Jane means pure grace. My three kids, we, we name them very intentionally because we want it to be part of their character. This idea in ancient Near East culture was that a name meant something. It meant who that person was down to the depths of their being. 
And so the key to understanding these phrases is to understand what Isaiah is saying. And really what God has delivered to mankind here is a statement of what the character of God is. The character of the king that would be coming and reigning and restoring uh, the, the nation of Judah, but also all of the world to the restoration that God desires. And so we have these names to consider. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. The first thing that we understand here is that Jesus is our wonderful counselor. The names here, or the words here in the, in the Hebrew, wonderful means miraculous. He is our miraculous counselor. And this doesn't mean a counselor like a mental health professional, right? It, it means somebody who gives you advice and directs you and drives you. Jesus is so amazing in his reign within our life that he calls us to a certain direction. He gives us miraculous counsel that we could never come up with in our own minds. And this is really at the heart of Christianity. What the Bible says a Christian is is someone who looks at their life in which they've been distanced from God and they've realized they need to turn and go towards God and serve in a different way, live in a different way, and they need wisdom to do that that is not contained within their own mind or heart. The Bible calls this repentance and it says turn towards God and away from the things that you've always turned towards. And we need God's wondrous miraculous counsel in order to do that. You see, on that Christmas day over 2,000 years ago, God didn't follow the wisdom of the world. He didn't come in an F-35, right, with guns blazing. He didn't even come on a white horse. He showed up in a manger, wrapped in dirty, dirty swaddling clothes, surrounded by livestock. What king would ever come in that manner? It was a king that worked with a different wisdom, a miraculous wisdom where he knew that he couldn't come in and conquer us without first loving us. He understood that the key to every one of our hearts was through humility and love, to show us the character of God in love so that we would be drawn to him, so that we would surrender ourselves. He wouldn't just defeat us. He used a different type of miraculous wisdom and counsel. And through his life and ministry, Jesus gave us this miraculous counsel. He gives it to us in his word, and he calls us to it. Things like love and generosity and reconciliation. Things that the world at this season love. You ever notice that? People who are the most hardened towards God, they love this season. Why? Because it is a season of generosity, of reconciliation. These are miraculous ways of living that only God could give us. We can't do it on our own. And so we turn to the King, Jesus Christ, and we ask him to be our wonderful, miraculous counselor. Secondly, he is our mighty God. Mighty means it has the implication of being a warrior. He's a warrior God. Not only did he come in this humble fashion, but he came to destroy the strongholds of the enemy. He came to destroy sin and death. He was a warrior on our behalf. But not only did he come to destroy death and sin in our lives, he came to dest destroy the greatest lie that's ever been given. You see, that first story in the Bible, the story of the Garden of Eden, Satan came into the garden and the lie that he gave to Adam and Eve was, can you trust this God? Is he a God that truly has your best interests in mind? You see, it would be better, Eve, if you did things your way, yourself, if you were God. And this lie was so powerful that it took root and it's lasted all throughout mankind, even until today. When things start to go wrong, we think to ourselves, if only I could take charge. Jesus came as king even to destroy that idea. 
Because in order to walk with him, we must understand that he truly is a good God. And he comes to destroy not only sin and death in our life, but those things that we're addicted to, those things that ensnare us and trap us, whether it be substances, whether it be sexuality, whether it be the attitudes of our own heart that we know are wrong and that destroy relationships. For some of you here today, you know that you serve idols of self, of materialism, of sexuality, maybe even an addiction in which you've already cried out to God to be free of those things. And he says to you today, turn to his miraculous counsel. Put aside those things and surrender your life to the mighty God and he will be a warrior on your side. He will destroy those things in your life so that you finally feel free for the first time in your life. See, he's a God who fights on our behalf. Third, Jesus is a wonderful, or is, excuse me, an everlasting father. And perhaps the most important and yet most simple of the four names is this idea of everlasting father. Those of you in this room that have been lucky enough to be a good father or maybe to have a good father, you know how important fatherhood is. We live in a world where there is a plague of father wounds. And Jesus assures us in the midst of that darkness, I will be your everlasting father. Now you might pause and say, wait a minute, Hans, how could a baby come in a manger be our everlasting father? Well, this is where the idea of names is so very important because we all know that we serve in the the trinity of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How could Jesus, the Son, become our everlasting father? Well, you see, Jesus is the physical reflection of everything that the Father God is. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In fact, the very name of the Father God is passed on to the Son, the name of Lord. If you look at Philippians 2, 9 through 10, this is what it says. It says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The Father God has given his very name of everlasting Father to Jesus Christ. And for those of you in this room that need that love of a father, that guidance, maybe you even need the discipline of a loving father to get you back on the path and the way of God, Jesus is the king that will provide that. He is the good father that will not let us down. He will never abandon us, nor leave us, nor forsake us. The fact that he is an everlasting father speaks of his care for you and his love for each and every one of you. This is the name that speaks of provision and of protection everlasting father. You see, when Jesus came, he came as a representative of God the Father. And he came to tell us who the Father God is in very plain language. He served us and cared for us. He ministered to us in an unconditional love. And when he grew old, he began to minister in a way where people started to say, is this maybe the one? Is this the one that Isaiah was talking about, that is prophesied throughout this whole Bible? And then he proved that he is this God, this king, by dying on the cross, giving his very life for you and for me, and then raising again three days later. That's just not the Easter story. That is the entire story of God. And we celebrate today a piece of that story, knowing that it is part of God's plan to pour out his peace over all the earth. And this is the last name of Jesus that we are given in Isaiah chapter 9, the Prince of Peace. I don't know how many years I sang Christmas songs with this phrase in it, the Prince of Peace, and didn't even really think about what it was for. 
I want you guys to start doing that. Whenever you hear a Christmas song, and I'm not talking the, the ones that are played on, you know, Z100 or whatever, right? Okay. Uh, wham, uh, singing Christmas songs is just a scary thing for those of you from the 80s, right? But when you listen to the hymns that were Christmas songs, realize that they're speaking of these things. That those songs are songs of worship and adoration to the one that comes as the Prince of Peace. In Hebrew, the word prince means chief. He's the one that leads us in the way of what? Of peace. The word in the Hebrew for peace is shalom. Shalom not only means a removal of conflict, it means a completeness. You can think of a jar that was broken and laying on the floor in pieces. And shalom means not only that there was glue to put it back together as it originally was, but even the seams where the glue was placed is healed. Jesus came as our prince of peace to lead us in the way to be king over us in the kingdom of peace. Now, we all look around, and even at this Christmas time, we see the world around us, and we say, Hans, there is no peace. But you have to understand, there is peace. The beginning of Jesus' reign has already come, and it has come in the hearts of his people. You see, on that Christmas day, over 2,000 years ago, an angel showed up to a bunch of shepherds, and this is what was said. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. That's the word gospel. I bring you the gospel of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the anointed King, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. That idea is not just Jesus playing favorites and giving peace to those those who he likes. But he is pleased with those who glory in his miraculous counsel. Who ask him to fight on their behalf as a warrior king to destroy sin and death in their lives. Who ask him to be their everlasting father, to step into the family of God and be part of the kingdom in which he reigns. And those who say, Lord, we want your peace to reign in our hearts. Peace came in the hearts of his followers on that day, and it continued forth into this day, where we stand as lights in the middle of a dark world, proclaiming to the world, this is the king that we serve. A king that is a miraculous and wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. For some of you here this afternoon, this isn't your church. Maybe you don't even go to church. Maybe you might even be wrestling with God. But you come here today, not just by chance, but because Jesus wants to speak to you and ask you a question today. Don't you need God's miraculous counsel? Don't you need his wisdom in your life to turn you from that which has ensnared you and enslaved you all of your days? Don't you need him to fight on behalf, on your behalf, in the might of God, the Creator, to slay those things that drag you away from community and away from relationship and away from the very relationship with God that you desire? Don't you need to know and experience the love and guidance of an everlasting Father? Every human being desires that and wants that. And lastly, don't you need to finally stop the chaos and the drama in your life? the broken relationships, the bad decisions, 
And don't you desire to have peace surround you and protect you? Jesus is the one that can bring those things. And if you said yes to any of those questions I just asked, there's nothing crazy that you need to do. In fact, it's the most logical thing we can do in this life. It's to submit our lives to the very king that was born on that day and to say, I am going to turn my life over to you and pursue your miraculous counsel in your word and with your people. I am going to ask you to fight on my behalf and I'm going to be part of what is called your host, your, your army. Not fighting down the world, but serving the world in love and conquering the world through good, not evil. I'm going to be a person that comes to you as my father and loves you as one of your children. I'm going to be a person that wants to be surrounded in your peace and I'm going to let your peace rule my heart. That is what it is to be a Christian. You don't need to do anything special today. What we're going to do in a moment is we're going to have communion where we take two symbols of Jesus' death and resurrection and we're going to pass those around and if you are already a believer in Christ or if you're a person that today says, yes, I, I want to follow this king, then simply take those two symbols and I'll lead you through communion and simply say in the depths of your heart, Father, I want to follow you. God, I want you to be my king. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. There is no special wording you have to use. You simply have to surrender. And if you do that today, Jesus will hear your heart and you will be part of the community of faith in Jesus Christ. And I would invite you to either become part of our family of faith or to join one of the many good churches in Salem. But either way, to start pursuing this king and following him. For others of you in this congregation, you have walked with Jesus a while. You know Jesus as your king. You know him as your prince of peace. And you seek after his miraculous counsel. I want to encourage you today that as we go about our business today and into tomorrow morning, I want to encourage you to keep your eyes focused on what today is truly about. It is a day of worship of the true, the one and only king. And the reason we open gifts, the reason we sit at the base of a, a tree uh, that is everlasting and it's evergreen is because they're all symbols that point to Jesus Christ. We've redeemed what were once pagan symbols to say, Jesus, we want everything to be about you. You are the light of the world that shines into our life. You are the one that gives everlasting, evergreen life to those who follow you. You are the one who is the gift to all creation to pay the price for our shame to die the death that we deserve, and to be raised in everlasting life that is the grace of God towards those who follow him. So I would encourage you today, if you are a believer, glory in this day. This is not just a day of family fun. It is, and I, I love that. But it is so much more than that. It is the time where we state to Jesus, you are our risen king, and we follow you and you alone. Amen? Amen. You know, it's an amazing thing. Most of the pagan religions at the time of Jesus, they believed that God would come down to them in a way that they um, could ingest him and eat him and they could have control over him. The reality is, is that Jesus decided the time and the place. God the Father did. And when Jesus came into flesh, he did something that no other God, no other religion can claim. God that created the universe, that spans the universe with his hands, stepped into human flesh. And he did that solely because he is a wonderful God who promised to restore and redeem all of creation in spite of our destruction. And he did it because he 
pictured each and every one of you that desire to be with him and the love that he has for you drew him into that place. And so this celebration that we have in our hands is, again, not just some tradition we do, but this in and of itself is miraculous. I think as Protestants, often we, we kind of poo-poo the idea of, oh, this is the literal body and blood of Jesus, so this isn't that important of a thing. But the reality is, is while it may not be the literal body and blood of Jesus, the symbolism that we practice right now is a massively important thing. We remember the miracle of the incarnation, that God stepped into human flesh. And so this bread that we hold in our hands, it has puncture wounds in it because it is a symbol of the crucifixion that Jesus endured for you and for me. And he could have only done that in human flesh. And so while we practice it on Easter and every other Sunday, we also practice it on Christmas Eve because without Jesus stepping into flesh, the crucifixion would have never happened. And our shame would still be with us and we would still be stuck in our sins. The burn marks on the bread symbolize the fury that he underwent. Just as the fire in the oven burnt this bread, God underwent fury his own fury. He took on his own fury for you and for me to disperse it and to remove the shame so that we didn't have to bear it. So this bread that we eat, it is a miraculous symbol. And we do it in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. And so let's remember him now as we eat as a family of his body. This cup symbolizes the blood of Jesus. And can you imagine being the mother of the king, watching this baby in a manger, holding him in his swaddling clothes, not realizing that one day his blood would cleanse all of humanity from their sins. It would give any person on this planet the way to serve God and to have their sins removed. And not everyone will accept it, true. But this blood was given so that all humanity could be redeemed. And I know that the Lord would ask us tonight, don't, don't forsake that. Don't pass it by. Realize that this is a massive thing. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so this blood that is symbolized by this cup is something that we take very seriously as Christians. It was shed for you and for me on the cross. It's what cleanses us and removes the shame from our lives and brings us true peace. And so as we drink of it now, let's remember what Jesus did. And it all initiated, it all started that day when he became a baby, stepping into human flesh for you and for me. Let's remember it now as we drink as a family. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for coming into this world, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, to come and draw us to yourself. We thank you for that ultimate sacrifice of the cross, and I pray for all of us who are here today that we could grasp what you did for us, not only in your death and resurrection, but being born, incarnated into flesh in this world. Help us today and tomorrow as we celebrate with family and friends and get wrapped up in our traditions. Help us to not lose sight of what this celebration is all about. It is actually a time to worship you and adore you as a king seated upon a throne, not only of our lives, but of the entire world. We pray that you would call us to walk as you walked, loving one another in your name, practicing not just the Christmas spirit in the month of December, but the love, the sacrifice, the reconciliation and generosity that you showed to us. Help us to practice it all year long. We love you, Jesus. 
please reign in our lives as King. Reign in this church as King. And we ask this in Your royal and wonderful name. Amen.